Okay, you ready? Okay, so starting in the middle of a conversation, welcome to the Teacher's Lounge, where you get to find out what teachers are really talking about, uh, and also keep in touch with what's going on in Israel. I'm co-host Michael Unterberg. I'm here with, of course, Alan Goldman, as always. Hi, Mike. How's it going? And we also have our third staff member. We'll call him Whippersnapper Benji, <laughs> uh, our, our youngest teacher on staff, but probably the smartest. How's it going, Benji? Sababa, how are you doing? All right, great. Well, today we have three people. We want to cover three. Sorry, your magic mic. Yeah, yeah. Magic right. mic. I have to have a nickname too. If I'm Whippersnapper, your magic mic. I was just in a very Trumpy mood. I figure everyone should have a nickname. What's Alan's nickname then? He's huge. <laughs> you told me you. What did you on the first podcast you gave me or the second one you gave me? I don't know. I guess we'll. Tech Alan, I think you called me. Yeah, maybe Obi Wan. Uh, uh, basically, we want to cover three topics today, so we're going to have to watch the clock. Uh, first topic we want to discuss is recent New York Times coverage and reporting on Israel in general. We also want to talk about the gap year experience. And then we want to close on the rule of three. We have three people in the conversation. We're covering three topics. But we're talking now about the, uh, the rule of three that three celebrities tend to pass away in clusters. And we lost three Jewish celebrities. We want to end on that topic. All right. For our first topic, though, we want to talk about recent coverage in the New York Times. And that included an article about settlement building, an editorial about Israel's uh, diplomatic place in the Middle East. What did you guys think of those pieces? I thought was, was actually one of the most interesting things was the shift that's happened in the, in the Netanyahu government, which is um, really some major foreign policy breakthroughs, uh, whether it be in, in Africa, where there was a big, uh, a big tour of Africa with lots of uh, publicity in, in Israel, at least, with uh, Netanyahu himself and the whole diplomatic corps. Um, and well, the, fo the focus of the editorial is really more in the Arab well, world. Well, so that's right. So, and then the shift that's not now that's cropping up, which is Israel's relationship, particularly with Saudi Arabia, um, and deepening ties with Egypt or uh, warming of old ties with Egypt and Jordan and that. So, that, the because of the recent, you know, the new shared interests yeah. that they, we have. Although the New York Times, of course, had to find in that silver cloud a dark lining that that means bad things for Palestinians. So they were, it came across to me as like they were upset that Israel's being friendlier now with Arab countries. I think it's two things. The editorial was, A, trying to wrap around their heads around this idea of, okay, well, Israel and these Arab states, they have some sort of shared security interests, but the problem with that is that they contradict um, their liberal social justice worldview, which is, but what about the occupation and what about the Palestinians and what are we supposed to make of the fact that the Arab states are going against their brethren in the Palestinians is in why would they normalize with Israel in the slightest of Israel still continuing uh, to continue its so-called occupation of Palestinians. You mean the New York Times editorial? The New York Times editorial board. So it's going against what they are trying to understand. They believe in the region which is Israel's bad because of how it treats the Palestinians and all the Arabs should all be in together believing in that and doing things against Israel or to try and rather 
they should be advocating on behalf of the Palestinians. And that's why it said in the article, the reason why the Saudis or the Egyptians are coming to visit Israel, so-called to, to help the plight of the Palestinians. But that's just a facade. They're not coming there to do that. They're coming here to be like, okay, let's strategize against Iran. So, the, what, I mean, think that what they're not like coming out of left field and they don't have anywhere to stand on. I'm talking about the New York Times editorial board about, you know, what happens to the Palestinians when Israelis are talking to other Arabs, right? For, first of all, Israel's been for the last two years at least trying to push this, this um, uh, track of saying, okay, let's make it again, make it regional. We'll talk to the Saudis, and then that way we can come through a deal with, uh, with the Palestinians, right? They've been pushing that track. It now seems to be bearing fruit. But what are the editorial boards thinking about? Again, go back to the original peace agreement between Egypt and, and Israel. In that original peace agreement that Begin makes with Sadat, there is a whole section about the Palestinians, and basically Palestinian autonomy, and that's supposed to happen in that peace deal. And well, originally, Sadat said that that would be the sine qua non of the agreement, that Correct. he wouldn't sign the peace treaty unless the Palestinian situation was resolved, and then he punted and left them with this vague autonomy they stuff. It, and and what Five years or so, right? But that's also what's happened with Oslo. Everything's always pushed off, pushed off, pushed off. Right. That's exactly, and that's what the argument, the, the world is arguing. It's like now you're now you're just again using another tactic to push it off because we know that that's what's happened in the past. The world is obsessing over the Palestinian issue because of the prism of the most important thing is the human and individual rights of every human being. Well, that that surpasses anything to do with any security interests, any geopolitical interests. So get online, you're saying that human rights is not a good thing? No, no, no. So Benji takes his anti-human rights stance here today at Cafe Cafe. I see the Middle East conflict as a dilemma between security and human rights. And when you can provide security and how much that would then sacrifice the human rights of your own people or another people. And that is the main dilemma of the conflict. But the New York Times is not putting out that dilemma. They're just saying, from my understanding of reading it for years and years and years, is the human rights issue is absolutely the number one issue. And that's it. Well, why do we have it? Why do they support the I think I, I would say overall. I would, sorry, yeah, no. I would say overall, Benji, you're saying that, the, that, of course, the New York Times has a perspective. Every editorial board has a perspective. So let me ask a stupid question. Bit of a topic. No stupid questions. Just stupid people. Oh, no, there's, there's, <laughs> there's both. I'm probably both. Funny. Okay. Uh, uh, why do we read the New York Times? In other words, if it doesn't have a perspective that's because sympathetic to our own. Five articles from the New York Times yesterday. I was like, why, why are you just sending us New York I, Times? I actually just signed up to be a digital subscriber of the New York Times because it was pissing me off so much I only get 10 articles a month. I'm a digital subscriber for that reason. Because I think my employer should be paying for that, actually. What do you think about that? <laughs> Great idea. I've actually thought about that. We should put that post to, please. No, I'll pay actually, for the Times, but you have to get, like. I've, I've actually thought about that that we really should get into our thing, work in a, a budget for subscribing right. to these digital digital stuff. Though there's a work, easy workarounds in the New York Times. The Washington Post is impossible now, but the New York Times is easy. I have the New York Times app. They never stop me. Oh, really? I just downloaded the New York Times app. Oh, I have a bigger... Right. He's I have officially a, Tech Allen. <laughs> <laughs> tech Allen. Uh, I have a bigger problem with Israeli. Like, all right, I cannot yeah, get past. Right, no, except on Facebook. Anything's yes, posted on Facebook. Right, yeah. Right, right. yeah, but and we have to get the Wall Street it. Journal, as long as you write it into Google, you're good. But we literally have a podcast that claims to keep you in touch with Israel. We have to be able to read Haaretz. <laughs> like. No, you have, to re- you have to read everyone. It's yeah. a ridiculous notion not to read something because you disagree with. And there's plenty of things in the New York Times that I actually 
do okay, agree with both A we're as about an to start, and B as an educator. We're okay. about to start the month of Elul, so chatatai ani maskir hayom. I'll tell you my sins. My don't, number one go-to for don't news. Get all, I'm not a rabbi, FYI. <laughs> some are, some aren't. Let's not, let's not point the rabbi finger at people. That's rude. Uh, if uh, my main source, I, New York Times, Times of Israel, and then I go down from there. It's still the New York Times. I still think I can't. You're a Jew from New York. Is that why, or because it really is? Hey, but it's also there. It's excellent writing. I think it's the best writing in journalism. Uh, it is. But I, I want to go back to I think actually what the point that Benji was trying to make, which is not really. I don't think you really mean human rights as much as you mean the over or uber focus on individuals and the experience of the prop of the of the of the individual as opposed to the bigger context of of any kind of conflict what's going on and how you solve it you know what i mean in other words i i think you're both giving it too much credit i think once a narrative is entrenched once it's baked into people's thinking then there's confirmation bias, and they see everything through that lens. Well, that's what Matthew Fr- Friedman argued right. in his tablet article two years ago. Now, I think I, I, I think he's right that it's not. If you look at it, it's not the suffering of individual Palestinians that bother them because they're indiv- the suffering of individual Palestinians in Syria is much much worse. And I don't see the Times clamoring for uh, you know to ban uh, Assad's air power or, or you know aggressive military. I think like anyone else, it's a we have to read very carefully when we approach the media. The reasons editorials are good is it identifies the bias of that institution, and then you read their information through that bias, and you filter, and you analyze. So that's why, that's why, I, and I think I, I agree with Benji, and I guess Alan also that I think we should be doing that to across the journalistic world as much as possible. To a certain extent, the point of this podcast is if you're in college, we're going to be helping you, you know, sift through that, and we'll be acting as uh, like a frontline filter for you. But let's just not talk about what the journalists are thinking. Isn't it also a reflection of the consumers of that media? I think it's big time in bar- So it's a question, who's shaping what? Is it yeah. the media shaping the, the consumer? Is the consumer shaping... And also thinking about the end of the day, the media is still a bunch of individuals around the table just like us deciding, okay, this is what we think, now this is how we're going to write about it. And how are, they, how are their opinions being shaped? It's also around, well, who their family are, who their friends are, you know, if what uh, their community base is. Well, that's true, except that... Reading. Except it's true, except that we're right and smarter than them. No, <laughs> but that... <laughs> yeah, they're right. What sells? Yeah, what sells? What, what no, what look, happens, I, you know. part of why you're sifting through this information is also because you, you want to challenge your own narrative. You don't want to fall victim to your own confirmation bias. You don't want to read information that only... Uh, you know, backs up what you think already. But don't we do that? Because we read this New York Times editorial and Jonathan Tobin immediately jumps on it and says, oh, oh, the article's about how they're not happy about Palestinians. Okay, so you can call that a Socratic or a Hegelian, or what you could call it, Talmudic. No, but that's... In some ways, like, it's a reverse. But I'm like, I I find that all the time, like, when reading this or when people read different articles, the first instinct is to, oh, let's criticize. What's wrong with it? As opposed to... You understand what I'm trying to say? Like, I do understand what you're trying like, to say, well, but I think... The, I'm reading the New York Times, so therefore I know I'm going to find something wrong with this. Right. That's, but then, then you have your bias. But I think you should read it generously. You should read it giving it credit for... Look, that, that piece on, on the settlement. It's not that it was wrong. I assume most... There was a piece recently about how Netanyahu is destroying the Israeli press. It was an op-ed. In tone, it was so hyperbolic. It's not that there aren't concerns. 
because of uh, Yisrael Hayom and other, you know, that the, 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 the state is providing a newspaper. That's a, well, it's not the state, it's a private donor. Right. And, that, and that's right, paying for it, so it becomes an organ of the prime minister. Yeah. I, I think there's freedom of the press. That's capitalism at its best. But there's a, there's a, it's not journalism at its best. A guy with money can decide what he wants to do with the money. No? And he's still, there's still advertisements. There's still a way that he's monetizing Israel Hayom, and he's in, making an impact the way that he wants to make an impact. I understand, but just as with it's any... Like democracy and capitalism at its best. It's, it's, not, it's not journalism at its best. It's, it's, it's um, manipulating. It's manipulating the tool of journal, journalism for your... What journalism is not manipulating? Is that getting into a bigger conversation or we're not getting I into I think it, it is. I think it is because it's really asking... I, I think that journalism is supposed to try to be objective. And I don't think... If, they if all have editorials, editorial boards and editorial focuses. So Yisrael has one, Yisrael Hayom has one approach, which you can agree or disagree with, same as the New York Times. What do they call it in France? The fourth... Uh, the, the fourth... fourth the yeah, but the way he's doing it because of the, 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 the unlimited funds and giving out the paper for free... Right. So it's is, is it this balance in terms of the, 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 the guy in the street the media is getting? Oh, well, obviously I'm going to take that. I mean, you know, my son prefers the Israel Yom on Shabbat than any of the other papers, you know. But you have to pay for it on Shabbat. No, you don't. No, you don't. I thought you used to have to pay for it on Shabbat. Well, Yisrael Hayom is a – is it for free? It is a complicated <laughs> issue. But the New York Times – Op-ed treated it like Israel's on the verge of losing its status as a democracy, at least in tone, I, the way I read it. And that's and ridiculous. I, that's by the okay, House, by but, freedom but House. I don't have to. Well, Freedom House is lowering Israel. Freedom House is an independent NGO that yeah. rates countries, the freedom and liberty of its citizens. Yeah, but they also have their own bias in how they're interpreting it. That's the world, well, and we have. They're losing their democracy. I want to explain what that means when you're losing your democracy rating. Who, who rates these things? Freedom House. Or oh, I don't even know that the New York Times article was talking about Freedom House in particular. They did. They mentioned it. That, that's where it came from. Of course. So you read. Listen, you want to read the diverse opinions. You you don't want to be a wishy-washy, you know, spineless idiot who just believes the last thing he read, like some American politicians who just sound like the last person they talk to. But uh, you also don't Huge. want to. You also don't want to uh, uh, be so uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Stubborn, I guess, that you're not willing to – obtuse, that you're just yeah. not listening. So that's the balance you have to strike. I'm sure a lot of you have opinions about these questions of journalism, the New York Times in particular, or how to read journalism in general, or Yisrael Hayom and its, its uh, effect on Israeli journalism. So – Please feel free to comment either on our website, juisrael.jerusalemu.org, or through Twitter or all the different ways you can contact us. Ken, a tarot lesmin? And so Benji will now order at Cafe Cafe. What are you going to order, Benji? Ken, may I have a menu, please? Even it's a beseder. Sorry, guys, I speak Hebrew. Um, I want to, I want to, like, last... Okay, can we finish that? No, I think it's, um... I lost my train of thought. What I wanted to say was it's a macro issue in terms of are we looking at it from a micro perspective? Are we going to look at it at the macro? And especially, I think, in the American environment today, there is such a big issue in the macro of people are just digesting what they want to hear. And you can see that with the Trump campaign and hiring the, the, the CEO of Breitbart. I mean, it is clear he has no interest in appealing to anyone that's not into that specific message. 
So we don't have to talk about whether he's actually trying to win or not. But I think the point is, in America, you're seeing the extremes winning out. Why was Bernie Sanders so successful in the Democratic primary? He's clearly an extreme on the left, just as much as Donald Trump. He was able to win, and he's a clear extreme, if you want to call that right, or it's completely something else. Well, that, that may be that may be also part of the social media phenomenon where you, you, you aggregate news through your news. We call it a news feed. There's a big brother that's aggregating it for you. I, I don't know. That's It's based on your interest, obviously. But they, yeah, but you're, you're following the pages and the people who agree with you, so you end up... Yeah. You're only digesting what you want to digest. Yeah, which is a problem, which is why we're advocating having a broader appetite to things that you read it's probably more important to read things you disagree with than things you agree with it helps you along the process and i think that's i think our goal as israel educators is much more about the process than the end goal yeah i think as educators in general okay while benji looks at his menu so mike i just want to ask why why are we sitting in a cafe what's the budget coffee you can have cafe if you want i think we'll spring uh, well, we're just trying out different locations for the podcast. We thought to have some real-life uh, Jerusalem background sounds here at Cafe Cafe. We'll do this from time to time, different environments. If we have equipment that works, why not? And also, and also uh, everybody's getting ready to come. This is it. This is the last Shabbat before, uh, before the gap year launches. That's true. We have our, our alumni, but we also have our incoming students. So we, we're very excited to begin, you were alumni. Remember where you were last year this time before coming? Well, last year was my first year. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm saying you. I'm saying our alumni listening. That's true. That's true. And let's talk about a little bit about that gap year experience. And maybe we should call him Segway Allen. Segway Allen. No, I think we should have Benji start because he's our only one who actually did a gap year. I dropped out of college and did my own thing. But Benji actually. Well, I did a gap year. I mean, it was 30 years ago. That's when the only gap year option was BMT. Basketball I went to Hakota. Oh, you went to Hakota. Yeah. That wasn't a real gap No. I don't know if it was real or not, but I did it. No, of course it was real. Was but what? Bina was still in Hotel. So, uh, ben, all right, let's start with Benji. Benji, what do you think uh, people's think goals should be in a gap year? Also. Yeah, Benji's the only one who can, was in, like, human memory. Yeah. You don't still, have to go to history books. Still 11 years ago. <laughs> it's not like... Oh, I take it back. Benji's old. <laughs> I take it all back. Yeah, but um, I, we were, I was 30 years ago. Right. I was literally more at 31 years ago. Is that right? Something like that. So I actually do remember pretty vividly uh, before coming to Israel. And I remember all these people kept telling me, you know, don't pe- stay in your bubble. Like, explore Israel. Explore other types of people. And, like, don't j- – I went on a Nativ, by the way, full disclosure – don't just hang out with Nativers. Don't just do this or that. And I can look back on it, and I definitely stay within my bubble. Um, I had a great experience, but I don't know how much I challenged my preconceived notions. I don't know how much I was reading things that I necessarily uh, didn't already agree with before. Uh, and maybe that was the space I was in then. And, you know, I was 18 years old, and I think I really lived, you know, the life of 18-year-old, which was totally fine. Well, was that enriching, though, exploring it within was, that? Right, right. I had a truly enriching experience where I guess – it was one of, okay, well, how does my life, how do I fit into Israel? How does Israel fit into my greater scheme of things? Like, I didn't think about it so cognitively or philosophically. I was just like, oh, I'm going to Israel for the year because, like, I want to go to Israel for the year. I didn't really think much beyond that. Um, but then at the end of my year, I realized, oh, I definitely want to live in Israel. Um, and knowing I always wanted to live in Israel and always wanted to make Aliyah and always thought it was important for me, but that year I kind of processed the, the why of it. Um, 
like, but only looking back on it. Like, I don't think during the year I was thinking about, like, I had a light bulb moment, which is like, oh, I want to be a religious Jew, or, oh, this is why I'm a Zionist, or, oh, this was just so amazing. I just kind of remember once I went back to L.A., realizing, like, this is just where I need to be, and I, I knew I needed to be here. And the thing that really challenged me, and I guess this is what to think about, is when you're 18, 19 years old, it's actually the first time in your life you get to make independent decisions. So before, I always knew I wanted to be in Israel and I wanted to experience Israel, but I never really made that decision. The decision was made for me. And when I finished the gap year, I realized, wow, if I actually want to live in Israel, I now get to decide to do that, and am I ready to make such big decisions? So I'd say the year is a lot about that you actually have the liberty and the independence to make decisions and to actually do that and to make the decisions. And if I look back on anything, I don't know if I executively decided on enough things to challenge myself and to explore um, Israel to make myself a better person and a better Jew. Well, what you're sort of saying, if I'm understanding you correctly, is it may not be um, as broadening an experience as other experiences, but it's definitely a deepening experience and, and figuring out who you are and what your values right. are going to be when you make your own decisions. It's a deepening experience on the universal level and the particular level. And how do you find meaning in being Jewish? And people can find meaning broad spectrums of that. Um, and then also on a universal level, which I was talking about before, you're now an independent adult for the biggest time in your life. Uh, and now we find out what Benji wants to eat. Uh, croissant chocolate im thé anglais li chalav. Fancy. Right. Um, so I want the particular in how Israel and Judaism, I guess we have to wait for the order. Right. No, okay. No, the particular of like how Jewish meaning in Israel means to you, um, where you fit in terms of your Zionism, um, and assuming, I guess, you have a Zionist identity, but maybe that's too much of an assumption as well, and that's fine. Uh, but then also, okay, I'm 18, 19 years old, um, and I'm and living independently for the first time, and what exactly does that mean, and what decisions do I get to make, which are in the, the Jewish realm, and then also in, in the non-Jewish realm of just, like, living, and living on your own. Um, and I think a lot... I didn't realize that as much before going into it, but that was the growth that I had. It was Jewishly for sure, but much more, and I think, just on a, on a personal, individual level, and it really prepared me for the next step, which was I ended up going to college. I mean, I think actually that's a lot of what Gap Year is really about in the sense of, you know, we're, we're Jewish, and so people want to do it in a Jewish context, want to explore our relationship with Israel and the Jewish people and Zionism and all that, but really the key to gap here is that individual growth is that there there's a ma massive jump between the end of high school and the end of gap year that year is a massive jump in individual growth and maturity um i think anywhere you go so then to do it in in the in gap year in israel so it puts it into that jewish context and israel and uh that's why it's i think it it it, it is such a powerful experience for people um and uh, you see it. You just see it. You see the differences. I actually see it very clearly uh, when I do Poland stuff because I see the what difference. When I, 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 uh, I take a lot of groups to Poland and I'm the, as the educator. Um, and the difference between someone in 12th grade, at the end of 12th grade, and the difference of someone uh, in the, even in the middle of their gap year is huge. It is really different. The questions they ask are different. The, the, the way they think about what we're seeing is different. Um, and you can see a lot of that is, that is that personal growth and that individual growth. Um, and it's really a time where you're going from 
from being, uh, you know, a late adolescent to a, uh, to early adulthood. Um, you know, in Judaism, we like, you know, it's when you're 12, when you're a girl, and you're 13, you become a you become an adult. But it's really that's really just the onset of adolescence, which is the which is the bridge to adulthood from childhood. Um, and you can see really the end of that, I think, is is that gap year, you know, and that's when the, for most people, that's where the transition comes. I mean, I think you guys covered most of the points that I would have made. I don't have much to add, but I will make a pitch. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, I know you're Tech Allen and Segway Allen, but uh, Magic Mike has to make a tech point. I think that because we live on our phones, we don't listen to the radio. And I think that's actually a loss because um, I remember listening to the radio when I was here 30 years ago. And you just pick up things about Israeli culture. And sometimes when you come on your gap year, especially today with our technology that we can use our smartphones and and be so in touch with, we're bringing home with us, instead of starting to absorb Israeli culture, and whether that's music or talk shows or just picking up some Hebrew or even ridiculous commercials, na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na, Mishpachos, remember that commercial? Mm -hmm. And it's stuck uh, to this day. uh, Just picking up, uh, you can hear it a little bit on the bus when the news comes on. But I, I guess I don't really necessarily only mean about listening to the radio. I mean in general about while you're here, don't look at Israeli life as something that's other. Yeah. Actually, if, uh, when, I, when I first made Aliyah, I guess I was a madrich for Nativ. It was 1989. And there was one television station still in Israel. Right? There's still one television station. It was like Channel 2 wasn't even yet. And Nativ had a television in the lounge. And Nativ is the is the conservative movement's um, gap year leadership training program. It's a fantastic program, um, and there was one TV in the you know in the in the lounge, and you know people would gather there to see things. And usually we gather there when the one English speaking program was on, but before and after those Hebrew stuff you were exposed to, and then and then when we went to kibbutz, so you had it there. But on kibbutz, I remember this very clearly then. You'd like work in the Harocho, and everybody was talking about the same tochnit they saw last night because everybody saw it. it was the only thing to watch. <laughs> and so, like the whole society was talking about the same exact tochnit. Right. And, and that is uh, well. That's why the last episode of the sitcom Mash will never be matched in ratings because everybody's so fragmented. I, I guess I just my only point is because if you're coming from outside of Israel to Israel, Israel to a certain Israeli life to a certain extent feels other. Even if it is, but you're sitting at the window to that culture. So find ways to look through the window while you're here. Soak in as much of Israeli life, culture, and identity for you to understand better so you can feel a deeper connection uh, and at homeness so it becomes less other as much as possible. It's a huge opportunity that often I think gets uh, n- not enough attention. Extend yourself from the cohort. You know, or yeah, it's like com- I did it. comfortably, comfortably, and I maybe I still haven't. And I've been living in Israel seven years. I don't. I you know, did more than you think you did. right? I mean, you, you go through the motions, like you make aliyah, you do the army, but everyone has their comfort level. I think you. I guess concerts. I volunteered right. in Hebrew. Like for sure, I definitely did things, but maybe I made some Israeli friends here. So maybe I just once again. I wasn't exact. I wasn't actually deciding. Like, I wasn't thinking so much what I was doing. I was just kind of going through the motions. And I think it's good throughout year to kind of every once in a while reflect. Okay, well, what are you deciding to do? Maybe you want to decide to do something differently. So I guess I would say it this way: you should push yourself out of your comfort level, but just 
you don't want to stress yourself. Right. You don't. You want to enjoy. You want to. You want it to be an enriching, not a, not a traumatic. You know what I mean? You, you don't want to. And for everyone, their comfort level is different. For you, volunteering, a lot of uh, gap year students will volunteer in Israeli places and things like that. And some it may just be listening to a radio program now and then, or talking to your cab driver about politics or whatever. Um, and that's, I think, more or less. Oh, here comes nice a chocolate croissant. The chocolate croissant is now arriving on Benji's table. Uh, as Benji uh, makes his Earl Grey tea, very John Luke Picard-like, uh, we'll turn to our last subject. You're laughing because I'm a Star Trek nerd. I'm laughing. Uh, oh, he put a heart in your. Oh. Got a heart in his coffee. Was it a hot chocolate? Hot chocolate sorbet. Wow, that's really cool. It's made out of like. Alan's son has a, a heart in his hot chocolate made in the shape. It's got this chocolate shavings, I guess, or chocolate powder. What is that? In the shape of hearts. Really beautiful. Oh, shoot. We should have taken a picture. Oh, well. Hashtag real Israel. Hashtag real Israel. Oh, well. It's not even Oh, we should take a selfie, though, and put it on Instagram anyway of uh, us sitting here. We want to now go to what I guess is. Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka. We don't want this to be a depressing. We want to end on a high note, but uh, it is a high note. It is. They, they, oh, thank God, all three made it to advanced years. Uh, we lost the rule of three, three celebrities, which is a ridiculous rule. Oh, no, celebrities. Three, like, deaths. You know? Yeah. yeah, it's not just celebrities. Oh, I thought it was a celebrity rule, but it's yeah. this is three Jewish celebrities. Five Ishminkov, Stephen Hill, and Gene Wilder. At least on my social media, Gene Wilder is the one that seems to have hit. Across Gene I never heard of the other two. I'm gonna be honest. Them, eh? I had to look them well, that's interesting. Our, well, now you're you're so much younger. What did what Gene Wilder? How do you know Gene Wilder? Oh, I saw Frisco Kid, Willy Wonka, uh, Young Frankenstein. I mean, Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles. Right, I mean, the producers. Right. I've seen all those movies. I grew up seeing all those movies. Mel Brooks, the man. And most of your peers have seen. No, they're not all Mel Brooks. But most of them are. And Young Frankenstein, or Mel Brooks. Right, and, and people Fresco think Kate is such a Jewish movie. Such a Jewish movie. I hope everyone has seen it. No, no, Frisco no, no. Kid oh, Frisco I think everyone should see Frisco Kid. It's no. a, it's an important but culture. You know what's interesting is I think come for Harrison Ford, but stay for yeah. a really lovely movie. It's a very theological movie, I must say. I think it. I think it has real food for thought, and we can't really discuss it because there may be well, people who haven't seen it. But the but what I, I noticed why can't God bring rain to the Indians? God doesn't do the rain, and then it rains, which is obviously ironic. Right. Just like that, he can change his mind. And it's Gene Wilder doing a, a, a really funny Jewish accent. It's not, I wouldn't say it's yeah. perfect, but occasional Yiddish. You have him davening and the out loud. Hadash is the best. Sing with the Indians, teaching yeah. the Indians how to sing. Or Chadash, I'll tell you. Right. Pronunciation is. Ideal, but it's no. Or is a ruwazadi ule yishvili. It just says a lot about America, I think. A lot, a lot about America. I mean, this was the number. This was the Will Ferrell of his generation, Gene Wilder. I don't know. He did silly movies also, but Will Ferrell movies I don't think are enriching. But maybe that's also also a drosh on the comedy of today versus the comedy of 40 years ago. Maybe there was more depth back then. It could be. There was there was more of a sense of a real story and a real... It wasn't laughing at... You know, even if you look at the movies he did with uh, Richard Pryor, you know, Silver Streak, or... Yeah. There's more emphasis Stir on crazy. characters. Stir, Stir Crazy is... 
Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting stuff. The, uh, w what is pointed out also with the very interesting uh, Gene Wilder as a character is he always had a partner in his movies. He's never, he's never the one star. He was Frisco Kids with Harrison Ford, uh, you know, uh, Young Frankenstein, uh, you know, Blazing Saddles. He's, you know, um, and it's all. And it, it's what all made him so Jewish? Father. What made him so Jewish? I think I, I, I feel I like mean, it's, he was Jewish. Jerome. Yeah, Jerome Silver's Silverman. Silverman, right? I think it, it's the because it, it, you know he doesn't look Jewish, right? Uh, but his comedy, his comedy is. <laughs> It's but it's it's the comedy that I think it's really taking vaudeville to the Catskills to to Hollywood. Uh, Schwinkel was a Yiddish actor from the Yiddish theater yeah. in the United States who eventually uh, had a career on American TV in like the nineties. Yeah. And Stephen Hill, who I always heard the legend of when I was growing up, because Mission Impossible, which was an excellent show, sort of forgotten because of the movies. Uh, he was season one. He was the head of the Impossible Missions Force. And he left because he found it difficult to be Shomer Shabbat. Very rare story in Hollywood where an actor who wants to keep Shabbat, and he disappears to a certain extent and then reappears in Law & Order years later as he begins to move oh, his right, career back. Oh, right, Law & Order guy. He was the old dude. Right, 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 right. Great character, always what grumpy. What do about it? Oh, yeah, that's well, so that's going to lose me votes. He's always grumpy, <laughs> but he was still uh, an orthodox Jewish You need uh, to find Jewish more actor. evidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like Stephen Hill's in the room with us. That was spot on. I feel like somebody turned on one of those Israeli TVs with many channels. Um, they each they each characterize a different type of Jew who went into into you know entertainment. How do you mean? You know, well, Fivish is the it was the Yiddish theater. He played he played on Broadway in Yiddish theater. He played uh, um, uh, what's it called um, the butcher to Tevya's uh, to, to Beck Bickle's Tevya, right? Um, Theodore Bacal. Yeah, Theodore Bacal, yeah. Right? Theodore Tevya. Uh, and he represented that really old generation. You know, I was in my parents' generation, would they just remembering the last of the Yiddish theater? He's the last of the Yiddish theater um, greats, really. Um, Very culturally Jewish. Without real connection to religion, per se. Right. And, the, and, and, that, and that went, oh, like, that is gone. That just yeah, doesn't a exist A bridge anymore. to the shtetl Jewish community, which see, no longer exists. And if you want to see Yiddish theater, you can go to Poland and see non-Jews doing Yiddish theater in Poland. You can see it in New York also. Yeah. What, non-Jews or? No, I think it's Jews doing so, Jewish right. Jewish theater. So there's some. And then, and then you have Stephen Hill, who kind of represents the Orthodox world, but someone who's obviously, I mean, it's not your typical Orthodox uh, what was he like, Mayim Bialik before Mayim Bialik? Like he was an Orthodox. I guess so. Right. Exactly. It's good. Right. Um, and uh, and then he made his 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 decisions based on that, but didn't give up on his career because he didn't come and say, "Okay, Mission Impossible, I can't do it." So you know, I just forget that. I'll go to. I'll he go. Did. He stepped back for a while. No, but he did. But he didn't go like say, "I'll just go be like a drama teacher in Orthodox school in Ramaz in New York or something." Right. It's funny, and this is really he a nerdy. Didn't this is. Yeah, but this is yeah. Right. Roll on, Chavez. Right, this on. is a, this is a really nerdy excursus, but interestingly, he's followed by De uh, in, in Law and Order. He's replaced by uh, when he resigns as DA. He's replaced by Diane Weist for a season, and then Fred Thompson takes over as as DA. Oh, the former senator, who's also a guy who went in and out of entertainment and politics. He was a senator, and then he went into acting, and then he right? he became a senator again, and he went back into acting. I think so. I mean, he was a, he was a major guy in the Watergate scandal, and then returned again in like the '90s to the Senate. 
very interesting that that job had, but that has nothing to do that's with the Jewish character. It's just that Stephen Hill also is a guy who went in. That's just bizarre. Wait, you know, that, that you know all that. Kind of ironic, though. Stephen Hill from the guy outside of his acting career, but he really didn't play Jewish character at all. Right. For what we remember him. On the other hand, Gene Wilder, devout atheist, doesn't really practice any sort of Judaism, but you see him as such a Jewish guy, and he always plays these Jewy characters. Yeah. No, I that's, that's true. Important. I think it's something to mention. Yeah. No, exactly. That's a, that, that's like this whole sort of like dichotomy. Five ish Finkel is both. He he he. He, to a certain extent, He's played. Fluid. Yeah. He'll be the Yiddish guy or he'll do the American thing, right? No, the Five Finkel always played a Jewish guy. He always talked with the accent and the, you know, what are you going to do? And, hey, I'm supposed to teach these kids in high school and what with this kid with the like music. Kind of like your picture on our podcast when you're like, kind of like, <laughs> you that know. Yeah, that's how he, he, he almost didn't act, it seemed to me. I don't know. Or he was just really, I don't know. That's a good question. We'll have to look it up on uh, Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> but I also just think it's interesting in terms of what culture and entertainment can do. Is I, you feel a personal loss? Isn't right. that funny? Like you feel. I didn't yeah. so much feel it for Five Finkel, but Stephen Hill, I really felt bad, and then so Gene Wilder. Finkel, I felt a, I felt a cultural, right? Per, like peoplehood ah, loss. Age, right. That's that's the end of. It's really the end of uh, of of an era of. But Gene of Wilder, the last touches of like my grandparents' generation. Right. Because they, they were the ones who would really go to Yiddish theater. They, they got the workingman's, uh, you know, the forward, sorry. They got the forward in Yiddish to their house printed, you know. That was their, that, uh, I, you know. The forward prints in Yiddish. They still do that, but online. What? They have an online Yiddish, but the, the actual paper one stopped not so they, long ago, no, like the 80s or 90s. That's the old people that know my Yiddish. My grandparents had the Yiddish forward. No, my right. grandmother, my grandmother. And she still got the four bits. I four bits it was when I remember. <laughs> the, 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 they had the back page was in Yiddish. Can we get like the English paper? Yeah, and the yeah. back page was in English, still being printed in Yiddish. Uh, I remember the full Yiddish that. one coming yeah. to my. No, I do also. I remember yeah. full. I'm saying this. Is, I'm talking now when she was in her 80s. You know, mid 80s. This was you know 20 years ago or something. This is part of what the Zionist world did when they turned away from Yiddish yeah. culture to the new Hebrew culture. So there is something that's disappearing. Look, I, I think. I think Gene Wilder is also somebody who, because he touched us when we were kids, we still have that sense of. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, he can't. He's also in his stardom was was massive. I mean, Willy Wonka. I, I really hope that anybody listening to this doesn't think that the Johnny Depp Willy Wonka is the Willy Wonka. Right. Like it just. No, I don't think that person exists. No, I, mean, I also I feel I a little bit bad. I feel a little bit bad for Gene Wilder's widow. Because everyone's talking about Gilda Radner, who he yeah. lost so long ago, and he has a widow who he's been married to for twenty years. 20 years and really? Yeah, so yeah. she just lost her husband, who's been slipping away for a while. Right, and yeah, with those spotlight numbers. though. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, what makes him so Jewish was he just really known as a nice guy? Sort of end with that, you know. He's yeah, just no a nice. Said guy. anything bad about Gene Wilder? All, right. all the entertainers, entertainment. He was like, I'm done. No more. Yeah. yeah. No, and everybody's talking about it. Everybody's giving, like, the eulogies they're talking about about what a nice person he was. And you hear the Hollywood is so, like, you know, it's a superficial. And, and, yeah. A lot of these guys are nice guys. Tom Hanks is a nice yeah, guy. I, so. I just went interview with John Krasinski. Everyone says he's such a nice guy. Not all. Not all. Not all. Jews. No, but when you we think want of Jews to be nice. You think of the glitch. You think of the, right. you know, you don't think of the humble, down-home, nice, just nice guy. It's guys. nice that some of the nice guys are Jewish. Yeah. Yeah, it is nice. Not that it's hard to find Jews in Hollywood, but <laughs> at least some of them are nice also is a, is a, is a good thing. 
Um, and again, we'd love to hear from you, comments, what you thought about uh, our rule of three. And with that, I guess we're going to sign off here from Cafe Cafe in Jerusalem. How's your, uh, how was your chocolate croissant, Benji? It was fantastic. Wow, Benji recommends the chocolate croissant. Two pounds platter. Yeah, I also I had, a, I had a butter one. Yeah, but Benji can afford it, and I really can't. But I did have... Uh, He's got about 15 years to afford it. In my, in my cafe latte, I did have uh, uh, skim milk. All right. So I didn't gain any weight today right. eating that lunch. Um, and we look forward to all the new students coming in. We miss all you guys from uh, previous years, all our alumni, and we hope you keep in touch. And we really do want you to look at our new website, which is basically up and running. We have to start publicizing it on the Facebook group. Let's do that today. It's up to you. I'm going to change my letter that's supposed to go out very soon. By the way, that says you actually. And and I'll say, yeah, we do need it. We need you. We need you to send us like a picture for the contact us. Yeah, like a casual picture that goes with, and also a phone or whatever contact. Is that like in a full suit? No, no, I changed it. We changed it. We're working on the contact us page. Yeah, suddenly we're web developers. Well, really, Alan is. Alan's the uh, tech genius of the team. And so uh, this is how my tech genius goes. Mike, how do you do this? That's a genius. That's turning on my phone. <laughs> You're a genius at how easy it is for you to do things. Are we like the casual end of the podcast right now or just kind of like... I think it's pretty casual all the way through. Uh, when I the podcast, I kind of just, you know... I'm just going to... No, I'm not going to edit. I'm just going to edit out whenever Benji talks. <laughs> um, uh, but hopefully we'll get Benji for more episodes as often as possible. And uh, thanks a lot for listening, guys. And hopefully this episode also began and ended with our fancy new theme song. Let us know what you think about that. Thanks a lot. Bye, guys. Toodaloo. Have a good one.